welcome to the fifth season of Scene to Song, a musical theater podcast for people who love to discuss, critique, and celebrate musicals as a literary art form. I'm your host, Shoshana Greenberg, and each episode I'll bring on a guest to talk about a musical, musical theater writer, or a topic or trend in musical theater. It's December, which means it's time for the annual season finale live show. The date is set for Sunday, December 18th at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, and as usual, we'll have an assortment of guests from the season to chat about musical theater and this season's episodes. The video was live streamed directly to Scene to Song's Facebook page, and you don't need a Facebook account to watch it. Just go to www.facebook.com slash scene to song and you'll find it. If you have a question or comment about musical theater or one of the season five episodes, we'll respond to it during the show. My guest today is Gregory Jacobs Roseman. Greg is a composer, lyricist, and theatrical producer whose musicals include Letters to Santa and Save the Date, which won the 2013 New York International Fringe Festival's Overall Excellence Award for a Musical. He has been nominated for a Mac Award for his cabaret work, and his company, Rhodey Sodi Productions, produces musical theater concerts and full productions in New York City. Greg has a BA from Emerson College and an MFA from NYU's Graduate Musical Theater Writing Program. We're going to talk today about history in musical theater. Hey, Greg. Thank you so much for coming back onto the podcast. Of course. My pleasure. So we'll go right into our get to know our guest questions. Uh, Which musical has had the greatest impact on you? So I want to say, uh, while I answer these questions, since I've been on the podcast before, if I'm repeating myself, it's because I did not listen to my previous appearance and I am answering these questions as they come to me today. (laughs) But uh, the greatest impact, I guess, would be Into the Woods. I know that's like a um, kind of a stock answer, but when I was in middle school, uh, my music slash drama teacher showed the class that PBS video of the original production. Well, the, you know, the touring, but it was, it was mostly the original cast. Um, And um, I don't know, I I watched that and I sat on the floor fascinated because most of the musicals I had experienced before were, you know, like Rodgers and Hammerstein, which are wonderful shows, but at at that age, they didn't quite speak to me as much. And then I discovered this thing that was complex and dark and sad and, and had these, you know, fabulous characters um, and um, put them all together with like, as a morality play. And I just thought, Oh, well, I want to, I want a part of that. So, uh, I, that was basically the moment that I decided that I wanted to go into musical theater. I didn't know, I didn't know I had decided it yet, but like in the back of my head, I was like, Oh, this is, this is where it's at. This is what I want. Uh, what is the last great musical you saw? So, uh, I just saw Kimberly Akimbo, which I had seen. I saw last season when it was off Broadway at the Atlantic theater company. And, um, I loved it so much. I literally like by the end of it, I was a puddle of tears on the floor in the best way possible. Like, it was just a cathartic, joyful musical. And uh, now it's moved to Broadway. And of course it's like, it's bigger scope and the sets are bigger and they've re- done some very smart rewrites. And again, I had that same cathartic feeling of just joy. And it's just, it's such a heartwarming piece. And um, I, I saw somebody, uh, some, uh, a friend of mine say that like, they wished it was darker. 
And I have to say, no, I disagree. I think the whole point is that it's just heartwarming, that it could so easily go into that dark place. Um, it's about a girl um, in, who's 16 years old, but her, she, age, she has a genetic disorder where she ages uh, twice or four times as fast as normal or something like that. Um, and so, yeah, they could very easily go into a dark place, but instead it's really just about, you know, her as a high school girl and, uh, and dealing with her family and dealing with, you know, with people in high school and that kind of thing. And it, and it's just heartwarming. And so I, I just think it's, and, and, and the score it's fantastic. Um, and I, I just loved it. Awesome. Yeah. I definitely need to see that. Uh, what is your favorite musical that no one else has heard of? So, um, so one of my, my favorite like musical that before they did it at Encores a couple years ago, uh, nobody had heard of it, but uh, it's Promenade, which is by um, it, uh, the words are by Maria Irene Fornes and the music's by uh, Reverend Al Carmines, and it's this weird, wacky, uh, avant-garde musical. The, literally, the plot doesn't make a whole lot of sense. These these two prisoners escape. And then suddenly they're at this lavish party and then it's sort of a class uh, thing, but it's also anti-war. It, it, it was written um, basically in an avant-garde style and none of the lyrics rhyme except for one song. And there's a, and there's a whole point to that. And I just love the pure absurdity of it. Um, Madeline Kahn was in the original cast. Um, oh, wow. So it, yeah. Um, so it's, it, and it, and she, there's a clip of her singing on Johnny Carson, um, one of the songs from from the show. Uh, if you can find it on YouTube, um, it's uh, it's a song called "The Moment Has Passed." Uh, and I just I just I just love the wacky, insane insanity of it all. And um, and and yeah, before they did it on course, nobody had ever heard of it, but now everybody yeah. knows it. <laughs> <laughs> who is your favorite hero or protagonist in a musical, and who is your favorite villain or antagonist? So for for hero slash uh, protagonist, um, I, I I had a hard time nailing this down, but I'm gonna I, I decided I'm gonna go like full Sondheim on this question. So mm-hmm. I'm gonna go with Bobby from Company, and here's the reason why. Um, first of all, you know Sondheim has described Bobby as a cipher. Like that character really is sort isn't really a character. It's sort of a cipher for like what all the audience is thinking and feeling. But um, I took my mother to see the re- the most recent revival of Company. And beforehand, she's like, oh, I hate Company. I hate that play. I don't like it at all. Uh, and she had seen, a, there was a touring production in the mid-90s, uh, like 96, I want to say, that uh, came mm-hmm. through Delaware, where I'm from. And, uh, and you know, it was, the, it was the traditional staging of Company, and she didn't like it. And I took her to see this uh, gender-swapped revival. And after the show, she goes, that show is so much better with a woman. And I was like, yes, <laughs> because that character is a cipher. And when she, when you see yourself in that character, you kind of get all of the external, mm. you know, stuff that this person is going through. And so it, I feel like that character is such a sort of brilliant way for the audience into like sort of the concept of that musical. Yeah. And so I just love that. I, I sort of love that as just as a literary device, really. Yeah, it's a cipher character is really hard to write. And I think like company is such a good example of how it could actually work really well yeah um yeah and what about villain or antagonist? oh and, and and antagonists so i have two son him antagonists that are polar opposites <laughs> of each other and that's the witch from into the woods and the judge from sweeney todd and the reason why i love the witch is because she's so fabulously complicated in mm-hmm. in her motivations and her morality and like she is an antagonist but she's also kind of 
becomes protagonist and then she you know she sort of she she goes back and forth she's she lives in a gray area whereas mm-hmm. the judge in Sweeney Todd is literally like twist the mustache tie the girl to the railroad tracks like evil villain just like one note like there's right. like no like there's 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 no redeeming qualities to him and so I love them both for for the the polar oppositeness of villainous mm. villainy that they uh, that they represent what moves you the most in a musical theater piece I, so I don't know what moves me. I don't know if this moves me the most. I, I was thinking about this question, but what gets me without fail, uh, and it, it might be a Pavlovian response, but uh, whenever I see like a really interesting or um, sort of tender moment between parents and children, um, I, uh, I saw a production, whenever I see falsettos, for example, mm-hmm. and, I, and at the end of act one, father to son, that number just just the tears just oh, coming yeah. down coming down the face and then all of act two I'm just crying uh, <laughs> or or fun home uh, the relationship between um, uh, Allison and and her father that also that also gets me going whenever I see a sort of like mutual understanding between parent and child that it it might be Pavlovian my my psychiatrist <laughs> can break that down you know later but uh, <laughs> yeah. but it, but that but that moves me a lot. Yeah, nice. Yeah, that I think there's a good amount of that in musical theater. Those, yeah, those you relationships. Think? <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well, let's move on to our topic, which is I guess we're gonna call it American history in musical theater, or yeah, American um, history in musical theater. I guess I, that's yeah. No, like how how we as storytellers and and writers um, use history as uh, or tell histories um, on stage. Mm-hmm. Uh, and 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 how how wedded you have to be to the actual facts of history and how much can be dramatic license um yeah i got i i, st- I started thinking about this uh after the midterm elections uh, a couple of weeks ago uh and how I, I was literally like just grabbing the armrests of the chair in my living room because dreading mm-hmm. what was about to happen because we'd been told it was gonna be really bad for democracy and turns out wasn't so bad actually you know it was surprisingly good and i was like okay what what is this resilience in our system um and and also in the american people and how do we uh put that on stage and look at it and try to learn from it ourselves um so that's sort of why this topic uh sort of came to mind also there's this wonderful revival of 1776 right now um which is one of my favorite musicals of all time (laughs) so i sort of just wanted to talk about that that show also (laughs) Yeah, well, I guess let's start with 1776, because that show, I guess, is known for being this kind of retelling of history that, I guess, uh, is accessible and right. the, makes the founding fathers relatable and mm-hmm. um, and all that. So, yeah. So, like, I want to I want to preface, by the way, I want to make a disclaimer up top. Like, I'm a musical <laughs> theater writer. I am by no means a historian. So, yeah. uh, <laughs> so, so, so I'm, I'm not here to give you like factual stuff about history. I'm here to talk about uh, art and writing. Uh, yeah. but, uh, 1776, um, I first fell in love with because every 4th of July, when I was a little kid, my mother and I would watch the movie mm-hmm. and, um, and I just, I just fell in love with it. And it was probably because that, uh, the character of John Adams as played by William Daniels, AKA Mr. Feeney, uh, right. in the movie, in the movie, <laughs> um, it's, it, it, he was, he was 
short, obnoxious, and disliked. And I identified with that. <laughs> uh, I just, I was just like, oh, I could, I like that character. I could play that character. I, I should add him to my list of favorite protagonists in musical theater, by the way. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, I mean, but, and it sort of like shaped my understand. this musical sort of shaped my understanding of, of Revolutionary War era history. And I think about, and then I also read a lot of books of the letters between um, John Adams and Abigail Adams. Mm-hmm. And, um, and um, there was this one letter, it wasn't to Abigail Adams, it was written to uh, 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 Thomas Jefferson and uh, Thomas McKeon. And it was written many, many years after the American Revolution. And um, I've, it's stuck in my brain. I, I tried to look it up, but I couldn't find it. But uh, it starts with John Adams writing the lines, who will tell the story of the American Revolution? Um, and, and this letter is written in response to something he had seen pu- uh, published by John Dickinson that he said, that's absolutely false. That's not what I happened. That's not how I remember it. Hmm. And so I, so I think like answering the question of like, who's going to tell the story of the American Revolution um, is a tough one. And I do think that this musical, even though it may not all be completely historically accurate, does a very successful job of making it compelling uh, right. and making it, and making it a, 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 a piece of entertainment. Um, and I think that's what I love so much about the piece. Just like working on a historical musical myself, like mm-hmm. one thing that I feel like happens a lot when you're writing a historical musical or just a historical anything that you're kind of like turning it into historical fiction a little bit is that you have to kind of like put aside certain things that actually happened and kind of make it your own just for for whatever reason either like it just works dramatically a certain way or you're Mm -hmm. like kind of in order for you to write this character you have to like kind of take some freedom or whatever it is. And um, I feel like that must happen. And for for time also. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, There was, uh, in in fact, I was, uh, I was doing a little bit of research and apparently originally the show. um, So Sherman Edwards, the composer, um, Mm -hmm. he was, he was a history teacher and a nightclub accompanist. And he uh, wrote Mm -hmm. pop songs in the fifties and sixties and then got like, disillusioned with it and decided he wanted to work on this musical about 1776 and he took he spent a decade writing it before he showed it to a producer to or like auditioned it for producers right and according according to the book writer peter stone who was brought on later to like rewrite the book it originally had 26 to 28 songs in it wow the the current musical as it stands has 12 (laughs) i know because i was gonna say i thought like this was i remember hearing that this was like a this has like less songs than and if you're not in counting like reprises it has 10 like it has wow. like it has it has very it, so a lot of material is thrown out i i don't i'm sure it's in some library somewhere i would love to look at it someday yeah but um but uh there's this quote that peter stone uh talked about the opening number sit down john Mm-hmm. Uh, that I really love, um, which, by the way, if you remember this, uh, uh, when we were at NYU, we studied in that class the first 10 minutes. Yeah. Because it's such a good example of, like, exposition. Sit down, John. Sit down, John. For God's sake, John. Sit down. Sit down, John. Sit down, John. For God's sake, John. Sit down. Someone open up a window. It's nice. Oh, no, no, no. 
I say vote yes, vote yes, vote for independence. But the, but the quote is, uh, Peter Stone, he's talking about um, uh, Backer's audition. And he says, uh, Edward sat down at the piano and started with, sit down, John. And the minute he started to play and sing, everybody who came in knew exactly what the show was. They knew exactly what level it was on. They knew exactly, they knew uh, that it was something or other that they wanted, that they thought it was going to be. Uh, it had an affectionate irreverence. It was, it decarboardized all our national cardboard heroes, like George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Ben Franklin. Uh, and this song accomplished that. And uh, I'm, he, he goes on to say, uh, people always said, you know, there's so much book. It's such a long book. If there's not that much music, it should have been a play. And I said, no, it's the music that gives you the level the show is on. And it's the mu- without music, it would have been too arc, too coy. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think that's I think that's a great, great observation. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Like, it would feel less like, uh, you know, these are accessible founding fathers that are right. more relatable it would feel like uh and also and also i think with exactly it would feel like a history and exactly like and without music you wouldn't be able to suspend disbelief enough to feel like you're actually there like it would it would mm. it would, it would it read too much as a documentary um right and like i mean like history plays have existed since theaters existed right the greeks all wrote history plays right. shakespeare wrote history plays and Shakespeare's history plays are not exactly what happened, but they are compelling drama. And I think the same is here when you're, when you're talking about more modern, well, not modern, but American history. Um, Mm -hmm. It's it's the same. You have to use, you have to tell, bring your audience along with you in order to get the point across that you're trying to convey, I suppose. Yeah. And I think one of the things that I noticed when I watch things like this like 1776 and and like Hamilton it's like oh like basically you're saying um our country was founded by a bunch of jerky guys because <laughs> that's they are because in making them human you kind of bring out all these right. like kind of not so great qualities not, that yeah, they like, well, like, <laughs> that's that's what I think the fun of it is is that because like, what I love about 1776 is the use of comedy and and, yeah. and in many cases, body comedy, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's a little, it's a little bit blue. Uh, and see, when you read in like history class in middle school or whatever, these people are like, you always, they always teach the founding fathers as if they were this pristine, like perfectly, you know, mm-hmm. one you know, like idealized men, and they weren't. When you put these characters on stage, they have to be a fully formed character. They can't be literally a messiah, you know. Mm-hmm. So I think, and also the, I mean, in, for like, for, for tactical purposes of the, of the, of the show, they also combine a lot of people into one character. Mm-hmm. Like John Adams is actually John Adams and Samuel Adams. Um, they, uh... it's like, there's so many, there, there, there would have been too many characters to have them, to have that many in the play. There's, there's already a crap load of characters in the play. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just for the, just for the logistics of being on stage, you have to make revisions. And then also for, uh, for dramatic storytelling, um, for example, uh, in the in the original and in the movie, um, in the in this revival, it's a projection. But in the original movie, there is a large calendar looming over the stage, mm. and at various points they would tear off the page and it would say, you know, June thirtieth or whatever. And so we all, as an audience, know that July fourth is the date that right. they have to get to. And we know they're going to get there, but when they, you get to like July second, and they're still arguing. It just revs up that tension so much. 
and the stakes yeah. get so much higher that that it really that the drama becomes palpable i feel yeah um, it kind of reminds me of um titanic in a way like mm-hmm. we know we know what's gonna happen right but you know but the fun of it is there? yeah the fun yeah. of it is like seeing it all unfold and like seeing the characters and ha- hearing right. them sing and you know all that mm-hmm. stuff or like or like death of a salesman the reason the, the reason it's that title is we know he's gonna die we, right. <laughs> we watch the whole play on how he's going to die that's it becomes it becomes less about what's going to happen and become how it happens um yeah and it's all about rising tension and rising stakes right mm-hmm. um and the other thing that is kind of miraculous about this musical that, and I would be remiss if we didn't talk about, is that thirty-minute book scene mm. in Act One. It's the longest book scene with no song uh, in modern American musicals. Um, and I often question, like, why does it work? Because <laughs> it works. Because yeah. it's lit- it's just I'm debating uh, whether or not to vote on independence. Right. Um, and it's it's upwards of 30 minutes and it's these characters are compelling and the and the dialogue is compelling. But also um, the song, The Lees of Old Virginia, which comes right before the scene, uh, is uh, it's it's uh, uh, Richard Henry Lee um, played in the movie by Ron Holgate. Hilarious. Um, <laughs> at, uh, who uh, Franklin tells, go down to Virginia, get a resolution on independence. Uh, and uh, the writer said they intentionally made that song as flamboyant and big and ridiculous as possible mm-hmm. so that it would carry over the next scene like it would <laughs> sustain the next 30 plus minutes of no song my blood stop running if i can't deliver up to you a resolution on any fantasy yes oh my god it's eerily clearly come on boy join in with me eerily clearly immediately eerily and then and then, wow. the, then the song that happens after the 30 minutes is the declaration committee deciding who will write the declaration of independence and uh, it's called um, but mr adams um uh-huh. And uh, and I think th- and I also think it's successful because that thirty minute plus book scene happens in the chamber of Congress, and the song before it and the song after do not happen in the same room. Mm. The, like the song before happens outside of the chamber, and the song after happens outside the chamber. And I think that that also that buttressing it with a different setting might help it work. I don't know. I don't know about the science of it, but it works, yeah. and it's very impressive. It's an impressive feat. Yeah, yeah. It's it's crazy to think like that that exists. I mean, I guess um, Assassins is another show that has not as long a book scene, but it right. has a major scene that's just like a very long book scene with no songs. Oh, yeah. Towards like, the end. Yeah, that's towards right. the end. But it's as another I mean, maybe that's something that happens when you're dealing with his historical things. Right. Like, well, I think you can't I think that- put everything. In songs, yeah, I, I guess. and also I think that I think that book scene is successful also because like that's the Lee Harvey Oswald scene, yeah. And because it's such a recent memory and still a traumatic memory for a lot of people, uh, we're mm-hmm. expecting a certain gravity to that, and so right. starting with that scene and then weaving in uh, that like a little bit of music before you hear the gunshot uh, is mm-hmm. I think I think that's what makes that one successful because you because because that that assassin in assassins has to be different than everybody else. He's the one right. that brings them all together, you know? Yeah, that's a good point. Like something that sets him apart is that his 
moment is not a song. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because everybody, every other assassin, well, every other assassin used to get their own song in that score. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now, now, uh, now another national anthem is that's people have moved it from Sam Bick to the proprietor, oh. which is fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also have this other quote that I wanted to read because yeah. I just think it's so fabulous um, about what uh, it, this is uh, also from the writers of 1776 about uh, what is included, what isn't, what's accurate, what isn't. And th- this is a really great quote. It's a little long, but, uh, but I'll read the whole thing. Um, and they said, the first question we are asked by those who have seen or read 1776 is invariably, is it true? Did it ha- really happen that way? The answer is yes. Certainly a few changes have been made in order to fulfill basic dramatic tenets. To quote a European dramatist friend of ours, and this is the part I love, God writes lousy theater. And he goes on to say, in other words, reality is seldom artistic, orderly, or dramatically satisfying. Life rarely provides a sound second act, and its climaxes usually have not been adequately prepared for. Therefore, in historical drama, A number of small licenses are almost always taken with the strictest fact, but none of them, either separately or in accumulation, has done anything to alter the historical truth of the characters, the times, or the events of American independence. Hmm. And I I just, God writes lousy theater. I think think that's that's perfect. Yeah, I mean, I think it also... Also has to take into account, like, the authors, too. Like, what, what are they kind of saying or what what's right. their perspective on mm-hmm. uh you know on this historical event or facts or right. themes or whatever it is so like for example like in the new in in this new uh revival which i love by the way um it's it's so interesting to see how the script completely changes its meaning and how we as an audience member and understand as audience members understand it from a completely different viewpoint, just basically, because they didn't really change the text a whole lot, just based on uh-huh. who's saying the, the right. words. Um, the opening lines of 1776, and yes, I can quote the whole thing from beginning to end. <laughs> That's how many times I've seen the movie. Um, but the opening lines are, it's John Adams, just direct audience address. Um, and he says, I have come to the conclusion that one useless man is called a disgrace, that two become a law firm, and that three or more become a Congress. And by God, I have had this Congress. <laughs> now, when you, when you when you see William Daniels, you know, saying that, it's like, okay, you're John Adams and you're pissed off at Congress. Right. Um, when you see in a revival and a woman of color is saying those, role, the, those words, mm-hmm. suddenly, oh, I have come to the conclusion that one useless man is called a disgrace. Right. I, I, as an audience member, I sit, I take a gasp. I say, oh, I know where you're going with this. I know where this mm-hmm. is going. And then this really clever staging after that line is the the company of actors comes on. They have their, you know, modern street sneakers in their hands and they toss them aside and they literally step into the shoes of the characters they're about to embody that are like placed on stage. Mm-hmm. And, and it, and it's sort of like this becoming of, of, of these characters. And suddenly for me, at least everything took on sort of a metaphorical, um, um, uh, everything became sort of a metaphorical thing for where we are now and and how we can use the lessons of the revolution today like a new, like a new American revolution. I mean, like England can stand in for um, systems in America today that like keep people oppressed, be it racism, sexism, homophobia, transphobia, et cetera. And when you view it through that lens, like I understand why we're doing this play now, because we still have a lot <laughs> that we need mm-hmm. to have a revolution against. Um, right. And, and, and it's also, and when it's, uh, you know, we're all kind of revolutionaries at that point, I feel. I yeah. Know. 
I mean, it's interesting with historical musicals or historical pieces, like they exist in, and, and when you do a revival of them and it, they exist in like kind of three eras, it's like the era of when they're set, the era of when they were written and the era of now when you're right. watching it later. So it's like three levels, you know, of, of, yeah. of something and of, of understand. Yeah. Like I was thinking about Hamilton in this, in this respect. Um, mm -hmm. So like Hamilton came out in 2015, right? Right. D during the Obama presidency. And you think about, you have the first black president and then you have these, you have this story told by a, a cast of people of color and, and it's like, okay, yes, this is the, the new multicultural America that we've all sort of aspired to this plural pluralistic society that we all want. But then you think about when Hamilton was released on Disney plus Right. And that was that was right after the George the murder of George Floyd. And so it this so this act of rebellion that we're seeing on stage takes on a wholly different mm. meaning. And when you see it in that context. Um because yeah. you know, uh because you know, performance exists, you know, sort of in conversation with the time and circumstances that you see it. Um I was talking about Into the Woods earlier, uh, in the 1980s, mm. a lot of people thought that the giant symbolized symbolized the AIDS uh, epidemic. Mm -hmm. Um that's not what the writers intended, but as an audience member, I can understand why you would gleam onto that, that kind of um, uh, idea of symbolism. Right. Yeah. And yeah, I was thinking of, I always think about um, when I saw hair, which came out the same time as 1776, actually, mm -hmm. they were the same. Oh yeah, you're right. Yeah. It was 1969. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but when I saw hair in 2008, when it was in Central Park, Mm -hmm. Um, it was like, so it, it had so many resonant, like it was the Bush, it was still like the Bush administration. And you really mm -hmm. felt like there was, you were like fighting there, you mm -hmm. were fighting something. I saw it again the following year on Broadway, Obama had been <laughs> elected president right. and it just lost a little bit of its urgency. Cause at that point we all, we kind of felt like very relaxed right. it felt, like, it felt, yeah it felt like more of like a celebration than like a call to arms you know what i mean yeah yeah do you remember when, uh, when they did uh, i, I want to say this was 2005 um when they did um two gentlemen of verona speaking of hair oh, yeah uh, and th there's that song bring all the boys back home mm. um and, and that was during the bush era and i was just like and you know when, when the, the war in iraq and afghanistan were still you know a thing i was like oh this is this is speaking yeah. to me. <laughs> yeah, um, it's so amazing yeah. when because Choose General Morona was what seventy one. It was the same year as Follies, I guess. Yeah, it beat, they, it beat Follies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, you have, and then you know, in um, seventeen seventy six, you have the Mama Look Sharp, which is like a call back to right. the, not call back, but it was a call present call to the Vietnam to, exactly war going on, and so you have all these like songs that uh yeah are just like went resonant in in war times <laughs> so yeah well and that's when I, I think that's when uh during times of war is when our political consciousness is i think a lot more heightened because it's just mm -hmm. it, it's a time of of uncertainty and a time of uh of un unease um and yeah i love me some war protest songs <laughs> right right and i think i guess like the few of the shows that we are kind of we're set to talk about today um mm -hmm. were written during some during wartime some not but right um like i well i guess just assassins was mm -hmm. written during the 
I think was right. written during or came out at least during the first the first Gulf, Gulf War. War. That's the that, yeah. that's that's the thing about assassins too is that um, I think about sometimes I think about like the book of seventeen seventy six because it has a linear structure. Mm-hmm. I feel like um, it, ha- it it gives the audience I don't want to say f- a false sense but sort of a sense of verisimilitude where like it just feels realish real enough that yeah. like it has it has like a little bit of of authority whereas assassins being in review format um and really being more of a concept thematic piece you know these characters never met each other but right it's it's really fun to imagine these char- characters meeting each other and you know arguing over uh, uh whether you actually know Jodie Foster or or mm-hmm. uh trying to help uh Sarah Jane Moore with her bullets and then shooting William McKinley like that it, like it's it's really it's a really fun sort of fantasia on american themes and um but you get to that number uh, another national anthem and there's just sort of a truth to it um and and when you're thinking about like honest history versus idealized history in some ways yeah this is almost more honest because it's really telling a dark truth about the country that wouldn't have been expressed in any other way. And I don't think would have been palatable to an audience any other way. Right. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Like kind of bringing in these fantastical elements to the story. Magic realism sort of. yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't even know if it's magic realism. I think it's just sort of a collage really. Yeah. Whereas with 1776 or, um, you know, something similar that's, yeah, that's, that's obviously you're, you know, bringing in elements that maybe weren't present at that time, but it's, it's, you're asked to believe this is how it happened. Right. Right. It's, it, 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 you're, you're supposed to be journeying along with these characters on their hero's journey as well. Um, rather than in assassins where you get a snippet of each one, you get like a snapshot uh, mm-hmm. of, of each, of each character and, and they each have a song. And then, it, it, and then at the end, the, the the whole is bigger than the sum of its parts. So you know what I mean? Like it's, um, it all amounts to something greater when, um, when they're all together in the same room telling Lee Harvey Oswald to shoot the president. Um, right. You get sort of like thematically how they're all connected and how they all, um, and what that says about sort of the American psyche and the dark places it can go. Um, right. Versus, versus telling a linear story where it's, it's, it's much more about this happened, this happened, this happened, and we got to this point. Yeah. In a way, you might think like, yeah, this this is real. Like, this is how it happened, even though obviously they took some liberties. Right. With assassins, you're like, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Obviously, you, know, you know from the get-go. <laughs> right. But, and I think, but I think the important thing is like, you want with like something with like 1776 or assassins or or any, any of the shows we're, we're discussing today is that like, you want audience members to like see the show and then go out and find out more on their own and like be interested to like, to, to go like, like you want, you want to spark an interest and then, and then start a conversation and, or, or just get somebody even more interested in history. Right. And I think that's how, especially with Hamilton, like, I think mm. that's recently, oh, yeah. I think that's, that's really happened. Oh, for sure. Well, like, like the, the closing number of Hamilton is who lives, who dies, who tells your story. And I feel like that's almost a call to arms. Like, who tells your story? Who do you want to tell mm. your story? Um, yeah. And it and it and it shouldn't. It doesn't necess- It doesn't necessarily belong to old white men. In the in 1776, there's the number uh, molasses to rum, mm-hmm. uh, which is about the triangle trade and about slavery. And 
John Adams refuses to take the clause about like getting rid of slavery out of the declaration and the whole deep South walks out of the Congress. Mm-hmm. And then I have, I, this is the original libretto I have in front of me that I'm reading from, but um, Franklin has this angry line. The issue here is independence. Maybe you've lost sight of that fact, but I have not. How dare you jeopardize our cause when we've come so far? These men, no matter how much we disagree with them, are not ribbon clerks to be ordered about. They're proud accomplishment, the cream of their colonies. And whether you like it or not, they and the people they represent are will be a part of this new country you'd hope to create. Either start learning how to live with them or pack up and go home. And for some reason, hearing that in 2022, mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, yeah, there's a whole lot of people in this country that, uh, that I don't like. <laughs> but if we're going to have a pluralistic society with uh, freedom of thought and freedom of expression um, to, you know, with, with consequences for, you know, bad stuff, uh, we do all have to live together and we do have to tolerate each other. And I think that that's something that has been lost in, in recent years. And then Mm -hmm. Franklin has, and then Franklin has the line um, uh, later on, it's a later scene when they're finally deciding to cut that bit about slavery out of the declaration. He says, to John Adams, he says, besides, what will posterity think we were? Demigods? We're men, no more, no less, trying to get a nation started against greater odds than a more generous God would have allowed. And that also stuck with me because I'm thinking, because I'm thinking, yes, really what this story is, is about an act of revolution, but an act of perseverance as well. Um, against all odds, these people accomplished something that had never been done before. Um, and how can we take that story today and make it still relevant and right. still learn something from it. Yeah. I mean, I think what's great about the show is that it's just so rich in like complicating mm-hmm. the story of what happened. Cause I mean, I, th- I love how the show or the movie is, is used in classrooms. I hear yeah. that is, a, is. <laughs> that, I mean, that, that never happened in my classroom. But... Oh, I brought it in. I brought it in. I demanded we watch. <laughs> demanded we watch them in my middle school is... class. I don't <laughs> like. I can't even remember at this point how this part of history was taught in when mm-hmm. I was in school. But I just kind of it to me. It was just like, oh, this happened. This is, it happened on this date, and like that was it. You know, mm-hmm. and like to have a dramatic piece like this, like really, I mean, you could study how it was complicated, but to have a dramatic piece like this, really you like experiencing the complications of it and having these great lines that are complicated and Mm -hmm. um, having a song about, you know, slavery and like how, yeah. And, and also translating that to now, there's a song in there called The Egg, where they're trying to mm-hmm. decide on what the national bird is going to be. And um, in, in in the revival, not to give any, I mean, not I guess I'm giving a little <laughs> bit away, but uh, they it really translate because the, the lyric is, um, though the show may belong to Great Britain, the eagle inside belongs to us. And when they say the eagle inside belongs to us, there's a projection of literally all of the great, civil rights movements of the you know last century um and it's and and it goes into also they they reorchestrated the score like once that trap set comes in and like the first number you you realize you're not listening to you know 
faux 18th century music like in the original oh. but in this but in, in the egg they really go full like electric guitar like oh it's, wow it, yeah so it's it's like okay i get it i i, I like, I like this is a protest song i've never heard this as mm-hmm. a protest song but mm-hmm. I like it a interesting lot. Yeah. because one thing i do like about the score is that it does that faux uh 18th century yeah. with the harpsichord and the yeah, yeah. And, the fl- and the fife and drum yeah yeah just because <laughs> like Obviously, we're not going to write a musical in, you know, the right. style of the 1700s, <laughs> right. but to, to just bring it in a little bit, I, right. I, I kind of like, cause, or, because I feel like you either are going to get that or like you're just going to, you know, scrap that all together and write a rock score, you know? <laughs> yeah, it, exactly. That, but I, that's the beauty of those original orchestrations is it sounds, mm-hmm. it sounds like, yeah, this could be, this could be a song then, even though it totally yeah. could not. <laughs> Right, right. And yeah. I mean, I guess, I mean, that's what Hamilton did, basically. It's like, yeah. the, we're not, we're not using that music. No, we're using we're this u- music of yeah. today. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And also, I mean, we're not using the language of like that kind of European uh, uh, mm-hmm. sort of style of, of music to tell the story. We're going to be using our language, which I thought, which I think is ridiculously effective. Um, yes. Yeah. yeah. I just think like, when else am I going to like how else am I going to hear the music of the 1700s and, right. and like in a musical form is not right. ever, but yeah. so, something I did, something I did notice. Uh, and I might be, I might've just been hearing this in my head. I might be wrong. Um, but when uh, the John Dickinson has a song, uh, cool, cool, considerate men, which mm-hmm. is played in the revival by Carolee Carmelo, who I love um, uh, there. I noticed that the orchestrations did not have the trap set anymore. It was it went back to a little bit of the classic uh, uh, orchestration, mm. and that made sense from a story standpoint because she's the antagonist, right. and she wants to stay with England and does not want to, uh, you know, break. And so, from a from a dramatic, just from a, like a dramaturgical standpoint, that makes one hundred percent sense. Oh, say, do you see what I see? Congress sitting here in sweet serenity. I could cheer, the reason's clear, for the first time in a year, Adams isn't here. And look, the sun is in the sky, a breeze is blowing by, and there's not a single fly. I sing Hosanna, 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 and it's cool. Come ye cool, cool, conservative men, our like may never ever be seen again. I just learned, or I heard today, I was listening to a podcast on 1776, that mm-hmm. they that, that song wasn't originally in the movie because it wasn't. Nixon... Because Nixon, Nixon yeah. like wanted it out. <laughs> yeah, because it because because the, the lyrics are because these are the people who were like, oh no, let's stay with England, and the lyrics of the chorus are, um, uh, uh, they dance a minuet and they said to the right, to the right, never to the left, always to the right. Yeah, uh, and, and so you know, and, and of course, right left wing politics was not a thing back then, but still, mm-hmm. like in, in in the 1970s when the movie came out, Nixon was like, oh no, <laughs> so, yeah, so they cut the uh, number. It's so interesting the way musical it's, like, a, it's in the it's in the director's cut right but yeah. just I, I mean i guess a movie's uh a little more uh pervasive in our culture than musicals but still to bit. have the president uh mm-hmm. want to you know he realized how powerful a musical theater song could be yes so. he did because it is <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. S- speaking of powerful musicals um 
I wanted to include some like uh, some other like Americana um, yeah. in this discussion. Um, I was going through ragtime uh, mm-hmm. uh, also in, as as we were uh, preparing for this, um, and I, um, you know, that's that's such an epic s- score and such an epic yeah. story. And um, what I I think I knew this, but like I, I when I was doing a little bit more research that uh, that it's based it's based on historical fiction, not on like uh, not on an actual event. But you get such like because of the scale of it, I think, and because of the style of music, and because of um, those three intertwining stories, you get such a sense of that era in America. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, like, I think that there's some really great atmospheric uh, American history pieces like that. I think I think of Giant sort of in the same way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, and uh, I, I I think that that's like another way to tell American history on the stage. Uh, is is to is to really take an era or sort of a large because music can do it can do a lot of things but one thing it does really well is like expand things um, and I and 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 com- and another thing it does really well is compress things uh, mm-hmm. and so to take a story of that size and to really try to tell the the tale of this era of 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 America um, in a in a musical I, I just think it's a, it's a very effective piece. I feel like that was probably the aim of the source material, the novel right. and the, and then the musical also was to just like write something that um, was this era and yeah. and bring in all these characters. And yeah, there's there's all these real people who existed, but they're kind of secondary to the to the three main storylines which are all fiction. Yeah. But that's but I think that's another effective way when you're if you're you know trying to put history on stage. Uh, to do it it's it's just it's it's more atmospheric rather than um uh linear yeah and you get it's it's cool with ragtime because like you get these historical characters who like anchor you in the era like um who is there booker t washington who else is Uh, harry houdini houdini henry ford uh, henry ford they're all there uh, evelyn nesbitt evelyn nesbitt yeah. yeah, they're all there. They all have a a little role. Um right. so yeah, so you're definitely They'll like, have like they all have like one little effect on the main drama, but like it's right. uh, Emma Go- Emma Goldman's in there too. Um Emma Goldman, right. Who is also in who's also in Assassins. But yeah, and it's like they they're part yeah, they're they're part of it. They get they get songs mm-hmm. either they that they sing or about them. Um right. they're they're part of it, but they're not the main they're not the yeah. main characters like mm-hmm. so it's, it seems like a good way to create a story where, like, you know, it's like, obviously, this is fiction because these right. characters aren't real. But mm. and then it probably gives them so then it gives them liberty to do what they want with the historical characters. Right. Because they obviously yeah, exactly. never actually interacted with <laughs> these people because right. they're not real. But exactly. And it, it grounds yeah, exactly. you. Yeah, it, it does. It grounds you in a time and a place. And it's and especially with the music that all that, that also dictates the whole thing. It just, it, in my opinion, uh, it, it becomes a little generic. But mm-hmm. I think that's sort of the but I think that's sort of the point, right? Like I think you just you want to feel like you're like in that era. You understood what the motivations and values and and whatever yeah. of, of everybody in that era was. Um, it, it's also telling an era of an era that like not a lot of people know a whole lot about, like the turn of the mm-hmm. last century. Um, yeah. Which, which, I, I think, I think is, is is another like saying like one making people want to go out and research more. Like that's 
that's all that's always a good thing as well it's the same thing with right. like some, with a show like uh parade which mm-hmm. uh you know is about an, an actual american event that a whole lot of people didn't know about um right about the uh the, the lynching of leo frank in uh in georgia in 19 oh i'm gonna get the date wrong uh, oh gosh, I just saw yeah, it and I uh, don't even remember. Like I want to say, I want to say like I want to say like 1915, but I might I might be making yeah, it's somewhere around there. Yeah, yeah. If not exact, if not that, yeah. it's around <laughs> that time. <laughs> I, I wonder if there's like more responsibility on the writer to hew closer to historical fact when it's a lesser known thing, uh, or not. And I don't know the answer to that. Um, yeah, I, I don't think there. I don't think there is, but I I do feel like. Because, because again, when you go to the theater, the audience should understand that they're not seeing a documentary. I don't know if, if it's that they, they want to be too like they're kind of too close to what they. I mean, nobody knows what happened exactly, mm-hmm. and I mean, that's kind of, of a, yeah. I mean, there's like public domain, uh, public domain, uh, um, primary uh, source re- uh, documents yeah. that you can find. Um, yeah. yeah, but like. According to the show, and I guess this is mm-hmm. the point, like nobody knows what happened. Mm-hmm. Like no, nobody knows who, who, exactly. was, who, who, the, who killed the girl. Yeah. Right. And I think yeah. by, by uh, staying t- close to that idea, maybe too close to it, um, the musical for me becomes more about who, well, we don't know who did it. So who did it? It must be one of these people who who did it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's interesting. Uh, I, but it is it is uh, it's a score that I just cherish, and I think it was mm-hmm. such a ti- it's such a timely piece right now. Especially, um, you know, anti semitism is back in the news. I mean, when when is it not in the news? But it's right. you know, particularly right now as we speak in early December of 2022, it's 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 out there, and um, I think the other great thing that historical musicals can do is give us cautionary tales from the past. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Parade is a really good example of that. I, I'd i be curious to see what would happen with that show if they didn't just stick to the historical retelling of it, because I felt like if it's in doing that, it, it just couldn't answer its own question. Of I, I see what you're saying. I, but I, but I do think that in the right, in, in, in the writing of the show, I mean, like it, I mean, he's, he's, he, he feels like Leo feels like a stand in for like me as a Jewish person sometimes right. you know, in, in that, in that, in that score. It's just an interesting example of like, mm. how closely do you stick right. to like the historical events yeah. of, and obviously, of I mean, like with, with, with any play, you've only got what, two hours in, in, in the theater to tell your story. Mm-hmm. And so there are like, and so with a piece of history, you can't write like a dissertation. Like you can't like right, write right. a long ass history book about it. You have to, and you have to make it compelling. Um, so there's mm-hmm. always things that, that, that you're going to have to change. But I, if you get an audience member to really connect to the story you're telling, to really connect to the material and want to go out and learn more, um, mm-hmm. I think that's the best thing that history musicals can do as as well as, be cautionary tales and um, and as well as illuminate things that you wouldn't have seen from different viewpoints and from different ideas of, of what story is. Um, great. So let's move on to our next section. Why is this so good? And we're going to talk about 
the song uh, Avenue A from Mrs. Santa Claus. Uh, This song is by Jerry Herman, who wrote the score to that movie, TV movie. Um, And yeah, why did you pick this song for Why Is This So Good? Okay, so like a million reasons. But uh, (laughs) first, well, I mean, like we're we're talking today about um, uh, history musicals and, and a part of that is politics. And uh, if you don't know, well, actually, first of all, last time I was on here, I did the musicals of Jerry Herman. So mm-hmm. um, so I had that in my head. And also um, our dear Dame Angela Lansbury just passed away and she is the star of this movie. Um, although she doesn't sing in this song, she does sing a reprise of it immediately after it's over, mm-hmm. um, which is sometimes called a playoff or a tag. But in her case, it's a full reprise because uh, she's Dame Angela Lansbury. But um also, we're talking about, um, you know, uh, historical musicals in that is politics. And in the plot of Mrs. Santa Claus, um, she does everything because she lands in like 1904 uh, Lower East Side. And she like she gets the women to like rally for like votes for the women for women's suffrage. And then she organizes a labor strike for the, the kids who are working at the toy factory for Christmas. Like it's like so it's a pro union thing. Um, and then and also. Um, you know, it's it, it's the beginning of December and it's Christmas time and it's one of my favorite <laughs> little Christmas movies to watch. So this is why this was on my brain today and, <laughs> and this is why it's so good. But also what I love about the lyrics in the song is that it's it's talking about the Lower East Side uh, when, uh, back when it was this melting pot of Jews, Irish, um, uh, Chinese, uh, Blacks, uh, all these different cultures in like a couple of city blocks all coexisting Mm -hmm. and coexisting pretty well, actually. I mean, not always, but, and it's, I think that this is the sort of, as I was mentioning before, the pluralistic, pluralistic society that we want in America. And um, while it is very Jerry Herman and very idealized, uh, I, I just love it so much. Welcome to the world of Avenue A. Where you hear, come esta, and bless my soul in doy Rosie Finkelstein and Michael Monaghan are still going steady. Mrs. Brandenheim is yelling out the window, Breakfast is ready! And that's the way it goes on Avenue A. Where Father Callahan bids Rabbi Hershey good day. Pickled herring and lasagna and chow mein all share the same tray. Part of the great big booyah base called Avenue Way. No, I love it too, and I'm so glad we're talking about this. Um, also, just like... Uh to do a holiday song at this time of year also yeah uh i never saw this movie but um i really enjoyed watching this scene and i feel like this is i don't know part of like a little you know subgenre of songs that are about streets yes (laughs) (laughs) yes i like that um, I don't know why another movie musical comes to mind with Angela mm-hmm. Lansbury, Bedknobs and Broomstick, where there's a song, oh, yeah. Port- Portobello Road. And I just kept mm-hmm. thinking of like that, just like this, we're on a street and here's a song about everything on the street. And right. we're just going to walk down the street and see all these things. And which is always like a really fun 
song. In the, in the movie, I mean, there's a there's there's like an Irish wedding. There's like a Jewish bar mitzvah. There's yeah. like and like and then like they all come out into the street and dance together um, uh, with Rob Marshall choreography, of course, because right. <laughs> uh, it's because it's the mid nineties. Uh, so uh, yeah, I just love it. I just love and I love the whole movie. It's it's very sweet. I believe you can stream it on the Roku channel. Mm. Um, so if uh, if anybody out there is looking for it. Yeah. I mean, the lyrics are basically just describing everything yep. uh, that's going on. So there's. Um, it's like setting the scene, like, because yeah. so everything, everything before this scene has happened at the North Pole. And then Mrs. Santa mm-hmm. Claus decides she knows a faster route uh, for Santa to take on Christmas. So she takes the reindeer yeah. out for like to try out the new route and she crashes in, on the Lower East Side and is stuck there because one of the reindeer like broke its hoof or something. Um, <laughs> so, and she like has to wait till it heals. Uh, and then she takes up with like with with this Jewish woman who runs a boarding house um, mm. and stays there. And then like she just helps this whole community like be like yeah. live better lives. It's 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 very and it's Angela Lansbury in fabulous dresses also so, <laughs> and hats and hats. Yeah, I feel you like can't have, song... you can't have a Jerry Herman musical without a hat. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, sure. <laughs> I feel like this song too is also like um, you know white um anglo-saxon woman meet all the ethnic people yeah exactly exactly <laughs> pretty much it's pretty much that <laughs> yeah <laughs> if you're just listening to the song it's like angela lansbury is not in it but if you're watching right. the scene which she's the in the whole itself, thing the scene itself is on youtube you can just um you know put that on yeah it's like you just see her react to every yeah. Thing she encounters um, and then she does sing a reprise immediately after but that not, might not be on youtube it's just one verse yeah yeah that wasn't but i mean yeah. that's always part of a reprise is always part of the right. song it's like you have applause and then everybody walks off and then she sings she's by herself and she sings a little reprise of, of a verse when she's like really yeah. excited like, Ooh, here i am on avenue a like yeah like, excited about all the new things she's experiencing yeah the first the first rhyme and and a is such an easy sound to rhyme. rhyme so. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so it's also the song does very well um, right. with coming up with. Uh, I believe it. I believe it. They rhyme it with oy vey a lot. They do. That's the first one <laughs> yeah. when you, where you hear at "Welcome to the World of Avenue A," where you hear "Como esta" and "Bless my soul" and "Oy vey." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, Jerry Herman, I miss I miss that man's songwriting. And he rhymes I'd walk with sidewalk, which I like. That's a good rhyme. And the tune, the tune to this is nice too. I kind of like it. Yeah, it's, it's, like, it's, it's, it's a little klezmery. It's like, it's yeah. like a little, yeah. It's got a little of that sort of like minor, but like, but it also like it changed it, when it, the dance sequence, especially the dance arrangements, mm-hmm. like it changes the style depending upon mm-hmm. who the camera is focused on, which I think is, it, it's kind of, I just love that sort of pastiche and like melding of those styles. I think it's, I think it's lovely. Yeah. Yeah. No, this was a, it's a fun song, a good addition to the, the street song uh, genre yes. <laughs> in musical theater. So.
let's uh, just go to our final section, something wonderful. It's just something in the world of musical theater we're looking forward to or want to give a shout out to. So I, I have a ticket to the first preview of um, the revival, upcoming revival of Sweeney Todd with oh, a 26 nice. piece or the 20, I want to repeat that with a 26 piece orchestra playing the original orchestrations by Jonathan Tunick. You had wow. me at that. You had me yeah. at that Bon bonus with Annalie Ashford and Josh Groban, but I'm there for the orchestra and Jonathan mm. Tunick. Uh, that is going to, that's just going to blow my socks off. Like I, I'm, yeah. I, I am there. Uh, and also in, in, in the world of Sondheim, uh, I, yeah. I'm one of the very few lucky people who got tickets to see oh, Merrily nice. at New York Theater Workshop. So I'm going the day after Christmas because um, that's the only day I could get tickets for. <laughs> <laughs> um, nice. So that'll be that'll be exciting as well. I hope it has uh, more life after that production. So. Oh, yeah, I'm sh I, I hope so, too. And I think it might. Um, yeah. If, if I was a betting man, um, I, I would bet on it. Well, as I said earlier, I want to try and see Kimberly Akimbo. Yes, you, want, you must. You must. I I do have a ticket to see this Wednesday, um, the Man of No Importance revival. Oh, yeah. I'm going tomorrow. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah so I'm excited to see that. Yeah, I've got like a, like a good amount of stuff lined up, which is nice. I know. There's a lot going on right now. Yeah. It's like a, I feel, a I feel like. Yeah, I feel like last year, because, you know, theater had just come back from the pandemic and we had right. been without theater for a very, very long time. I went and saw every possible thing I could. And because mm -hmm. I did that last year, this year, I, I feel like I've been slacking off because I have not <laughs> made as good of an effort. But I'm but I'm getting there. I'm trying to. Yeah, I feel I, I actually was surprised. I was like, wow, there's there's a lot to see right now. I'm yeah. I feel like I am having to make decisions. <laughs> <which is> like <laughs> Yeah. Which is which is a welcome change though from when yeah. there was nothing. Thank you all for listening to this episode of Scene to Song. You can write to scene to song at gmail.com with a comment or question about an episode or about musical theater. Or if you'd like to be a podcast guest. Love this podcast? Help it find more listeners by rating it on Apple Podcasts and leaving a review. Follow us on Instagram at Scene to Song, on Twitter at Scene Song, and on Facebook at Scene to Song with Shoshana Greenberg Podcast. Sign up for our monthly e-newsletter at scenetosong.substack.com and contribute on the new Patreon. The theme music you are hearing is by Julia Meinwald. And be sure to check back in two weeks for the season finale episode from December 18th.